You know what? That is a great way to start the show before we start the show, which is a pattern here at The Women Your Mother Warned You About, brought to you by Sales Gravy. I'm Gina Tremarco, and I'm excited that today's guest is a blast from the past that I love having her here. She always has great things to to share with our audience, and that is Amy Franco. Welcome back to the show. It is awesome to be here. We So for those of you that are watching and listening, Gina and I probably had about 20 minutes of banter and we're like, oh, we need to hit record. We need to hit record. So we finally hit record so we can have this conversation. And I was so excited when you reached out to me. I think I scheduled time on your calendar like 10 minutes after you emailed me because I was super excited to be back. So thank awesome. you for having me. Awesome. That's all. You're so welcome. And, you know, I did forget this. I did at one point, offer you the opportunity to co-host this show with me on a regular basis when I was interviewing co-hosts. And I loved that you're like, you know, let me think about it. You know, no, I can't do it. I can't fit it in my schedule, which is great because it's actually a perfect topic today to talk about what we were just talking about. You were talking about idea of effectiveness, but our banter leading into this is like, what's the tipping point as a leader and not necessarily as a leader, as an individual contributor? What are the things that we should get rid of and not be mm-hmm. doing? And I was talking about having an episode posted that shouldn't have been posted. And thank God I knew how to take it down. I know enough to run my own little business within my sales gravy world to do all the things, but I also can't do all the things. So I have to know where I'm most effective and how I delegate that. So let's tip it off with all of that. Yeah. So I had forgotten about that, that we had that back and forth conversation about potentially co-hosting. And now that I think back on it, I do remember being like, oh my gosh, this would be so much fun. I would love to do it. But then there's, then it's, that's the emotional side of me that sees that opportunity. And I love a great opportunity. And I knew it would be great and a lot of fun. Then I had to take a pause. And so kind of thinking about your own processes and how you make decisions, like, all right, let me sit with this for a day or two or whatever the time frame was, a short amount of time so that I could really consider, is this a fit? Is this something that I can fully commit to? Because for those of you that have never produced a podcast or hosted a podcast, it's could be it's a full-time job. There's mm-hmm. so much that goes into it. And then I realized, you know, if I say yes to this, I have to say no to all these other things over here. And so that's part of my own decision-making process where the rational brain has to kick in a little bit at the opportunity where my emotional brain is like, yes, let's do it. Then I really kind of had to take a step back and do a little bit more, compare, contrast, and then ultimately make a decision. And mm-hmm. communicate that. So that's, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, I, it took me a while to recover from your rejection. Uh, but well, thank I did. you for still inviting me back. <laughs> look, you all, look at her. She's, she has fully recovered from that. And now she's running the show solo. <laughs> uh, well, you know, again, you know, going back to making those decisions. And I, I love that you bring up the emotional and the rational part of like when we make decisions. And especially as salespeople, we sometimes have a tendency to be like, oh, anything, that's exciting. You know, when Rachel left the show, I was disappointed. And at the same time in that experience, I'm like, oh, I am too busy for this. All right, you got things going on. You go, I'll figure this out. Yeah. You know, so I, was, I had a rational thing going on there. I didn't have time to be emotional with it. Susanna's schedule got complicated. She couldn't stay. I had a moment of emotional, like, oh God, here we go again. 
Like, I don't have time for this. And then I, like you said, I just sat, I sat back. I'm like, let me just think this out. Like, what makes the most sense? Should I still do the show? Right. That was like, that was my there is first, that, right. Right. That was my yeah. first question. Like, should I still do the show? Why am I doing the show? What is the value of the show? I will say that the one thing, probably the only thing that I am completely consistent with is this show. It comes out every week. I think maybe in four and a half years, I've had, I can count on one hand how many times where I'm like, oh God, I don't have an episode for the week. Let's do a compilation show. Let's do a solo show. Let's, right? Like, but I've never missed running a show in four and a half years. That's incredible. That level of consistency and we kind of dissect that consistency for a moment and, and we turn it to like the sales profession. It's, I would rather see my clients or for myself, I would rather see small, consistent steps over time that becomes really reliable versus, you know, big jumps in activity and then it drops off and then big jumps in activity and it drops off. There's something really powerful about that consistency. Yeah. And that was a an aha I had probably in the past six months to a year of like, I'm super consistent with this and I'm going, I don't, part of me doesn't want to give it up because it's the one thing I stay consistent at from a marketing perspective of marketing me and marketing me as a trainer, as a coach, bringing in business into sales gravy. It does bring that in because I'm so consistent with it, but it's work. And to your point, the little incremental consistency. So I've I've been talking about this a lot lately. So listeners who listen all the time, you know, I go on a I go on a tangent for weeks about the newest book I'm reading, which um, I'm reading multiple books at the same time, thanks to Audible. But Mastery by Robert Greene is one of my favorite books right now because he talks about this focus concentration, in essence, being okay with getting bored with what you're doing. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So think about that, like the repetition of like, doing the same thing over. I'm like, okay, I've done this podcast for four and a half years. It's It comes out every week. I, when I think about that in that lens that he talks about, like the repetition is boring. I'm like, but I'm really good at podcasting now, right? The mastery, I don't believe I'm ever going to fully master anything. It's the pursuit of is my opinion. But when mm-hmm. I listen back to some of these episodes, right? And I listen to every episode before they post, I'm like, I'm different than I was four years ago as a podcast host. my interview I thought my interviewing was good four and a half years ago. It's way better today. I had someone message me. They're like, you sound like this laid back radio talk show. <laughs> but it came over time of doing this show consistently over and over again. Yeah. And I think with the, I feel like with the consistency, I don't know what the right word is for it. Like, it's like, it just it gets integrated into you so that where maybe something early on is it feels clunky. It feels like, hey, I have a lot to learn here on how to, you know, podcasting, selling, learning a new language, whatever it is. We're going to be not great at it, especially out of the gate. And then I don't, I don't know what the point, like how long that is that it takes you to get to that point. It probably depends on natural aptitude or skill or just passion for what you're doing. But there comes a point where you change and you're much more integrated into the skill. Mm-hmm. It comes more, it's more natural. And then with that comes more confidence. And my guess would be 
maybe if you listen back and I think about myself and my very first podcasts, feeling nervous, feeling like I would prepare and over-prepare. And now I do a level of preparation for podcasts now. I joke, I'm a great podcast guest. I'm not going to create my own podcast, but I'd love to be a guest. But it's much more natural and it's more confident and it's much more, it just is kind of integrated into who I am. So I imagine that anybody who's learning something new, you build that consistency. You're good. You're going to be bad at it for a while and then you'll become good. You'll build excellence around it. It'll feel natural. It'll just be a part of who you are. Yeah. And then I think what happens is that plateau part of it. And I think in some cases, this is where people kind of go awry, right? Like you get past the clunky, you get consistent, you get good. And as you were talking about this, it reminded me of like the speech I would give every improv performer when I owned an improv theater, because it's the same process that you just explained. They would come in and our performers came through a process of they would take classes with us. They would get to a master level of classes and they would have an opportunity to audition. And then they would audition, they would become performers, and then they would go through that kind of onboarding and orientation over time. We had a system in place for that. And I would give them all all the same speech. I'm like, you know, your first few shows, you're going to feel really nervous. You're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to compare yourself to the other performers on stage. You're going to be hard on yourself. You're going to think you're not good. I'm here to tell you, you are good. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. It's just until you work through, that's what's going to happen. I go, then what's going to happen is you're going to feel good and you're going to feel confident and you're going to be like, I got this. And that's where I want you to be careful because in every, almost every scenario, every performer would go from confident to cocky and they would go to this cocky zone where it's like, (laughs) I'm so good. Look at me. And the cockiness is where they would start to have hiccups. They would become overconfident and then they would have several bad shows. I said, so it's going to happen. You're going to actually go from confident to cocky. You're going to have a lot of bad shows in your cocky stage because you became overconfident. And then I'm going to come in, slap you down, re-humble you, tell you're good, but don't get overconfident and go back to new player mindset because a new performer mindset is like so excited that they're not, I don't know if that's making sense, but that would be the roller coaster I would see with every single performer that came in that, you know, I would have to, there'd be a moment of sweet spot where mm-hmm. now we're past yeah. the cocky and we've got the the combination of the confident and cocky. So I think that shows up in sales too. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I want to say, I don't want, Jeb had a good phrase for it. I think he calls it like relaxed assertiveness. Yep. Mm-hmm. And relaxed assertiveness is it's inviting, it's approachable. There's a confidence to it, but it doesn't tip into being arrogant or cocky. Yeah. When, you, when, when you get into that zone, then you kind of start to repel people. Probably figure, it's figuring out where the sweet spot is. Like, okay, I'm at this point where I do have a level of confidence. I feel like I have a lot of value to add, but what can I do to keep that fresh mindset into still be that beginner. Kind of that self-awareness of catching ourselves before it tips into the arrogance piece of it. And how can I maintain a little bit of that? Just that like the fresh eyes was in the mind of a beginner, all things are possible. And in the mind of an expert, only a few, that type of thing. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's a challenge for us as individuals, or I'm just speak for myself. Sometimes I don't see it. 
And so having self-awareness and self-actualization to be able to be to get there, I think that takes some practice too. So what I've seen from a leadership standpoint is leaders can see it happening, but then don't address it necessarily. And I think that would be super helpful. It's one thing to be self-aware and to notice it for yourself, but wouldn't it be great if someone could like tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, I want to talk to you about something. Well, what are your thoughts on that? And have you seen that happen where there are leaders that have that opportunity, but don't do it? Yeah. This reminds me of a podcast that I was actually listening to a couple of weeks ago. It's called The Science of Success. And it's one that I've really enjoyed over the years. And there was an episode, and I'm not going to recall who the guest is, unfortunately, but it was a conversation about awareness. And there is what you're sharing here. There's internal self-awareness that comes from self-reflection and taking a look at ourselves and taking time to reflect however somebody does that. And then there's the outside awareness, kind of the outside in awareness where somebody taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, you're doing really well at this. So let's figure out how to keep doing it. Or, hey, maybe there's something we need to talk about here. Let's talk about what could be done differently in future. And the combination of the internal self-awareness and the external self-awareness and also choosing people that you trust to get that feedback from. Not all feedback is valuable feedback, but from from our leaders, if they're well-respected, we have a good relationship with them, that's exactly what they should be doing is tapping us on the shoulder either, either way, whether it's positive or it's something more constructive, but just being mindful of who we get feedback from. You know, I and I know you do too. I coach a lot of salespeople both through Sales Gravy, right? Through our coaching program. And a lot of our clients often don't have the sales leadership and support. And that's why they sign up for coaching because they want someone to do that. So it's unfortunate, but reality that there are not always going to be leaders who are going to tap you on the shoulder and have that conversation or they tap you on the shoulder to tell you what you're not doing well. And I'm not big into, I'm, I I always want to look for improvement, but I've done a lot of research lately on building confidence. I did just create a course on selling with confidence. I know you've done that. You've done some of that work too. And in that research, you know, I've stumbled on how important it is to seek positive feedback because we are already so hard on ourselves about what we could have done better. And we don't give enough attention to what we really do well and how we can continue to like strengthen that, exploit that. And so you're going to have leaders that are be like, hey, here's what you haven't done for me lately, or here's what you've done wrong versus the positive feedback. So yeah. if you end up with that kind of leader, what are your thoughts on how you get that external feedback that is a little more positive? Yeah. That's a really interesting question. And I'll first start with, so when we were talking before, before we started recording, we were talking about Sales Gravy University, which I've had, it was a lot of fun. I was at the Sales Gravy Studios back in April and recorded, I think a day and a half straight, which is, which was awesome. But also I think I needed a couple of days off after that. But <laughs> one, one of the topics that I talked about was this idea of having to trust yourself. If you are going to be someone who is trusted to somebody else, a client, a peer, maybe somebody that you're coaching. There's a level of self-trust that we have to 
build. And it's one of those things you have to keep building it. It's like building your investments, building a bank account. It continues to earn interest over time. Building that self-trust, we have to continue to put the effort in to build self-confidence, self-trust, and continue to, to feed into that. To answer your question, if I'm not getting that type of feedback from my direct leader, there might be a couple of options that you mentioned one, which is don't let that stop you from going out and hiring your own coach. Just because somebody works in a company, there are so many options out there these days for finding development, education, coaching. The only thing that often stops us is our own selves because we're waiting for somebody else to either tap us on the shoulder or to pay for it or whatever. So I always applaud people to take that self-initiative and make that investment in themselves. You are your best investment. So I that to me is probably one of the best things that someone can do is to say, I'm going to invest in myself regardless of what's happening over here. The other approach that somebody could take is if you are getting some, let's call it more constructive feedback from your leader, bordering possibly on the negative, and that's maybe the way that they're programmed. You know, I don't, like, don't really know maybe what's going on in their head. You may just directly ask them, hey, I really appreciate this, the constructive feedback. Is there, can we look at some of the things that are going well? And can you give me some ideas on how to amplify the things that are going well? It's a way to maybe turn the conversation. If you want to do that with your leader, turn the conversation and ask them a question that helps to focus on yeah. what's happening that's going well. Yeah, love it. That was the answer I was hoping for, right? <laughs> I eventually got there. No, no, it's an awesome, it's an awesome response. I think we have to, and again, I've just started reflecting on this lately of like, what if we said, oh, what did I do well? Or like I just put out one of my storytelling courses and one of my coworkers said, oh, this is really good. And I'm like, could you tell me exactly what's good? Mm-hmm. Like, I want to know exactly what you liked about it. Because if we think about it from like, you know, Jeb talks a lot about negativity bias. We have a tendency to go to like what was bad or what wasn't effective, what didn't work. But when you tell me what was good, I can figure out based on that what you didn't like. And so if I'm leading through it with these are the strengths I have, then I can start to amplify that and go, okay, maybe this stuff over here I'm not good at. Right. Which brings us back to this idea of the of effectiveness and the effectiveness quotient, because what can I stop doing because I'm not effective at that? What can I actually delegate to others to do or not do it at all and stay focused in my lane? It doesn't mean I don't want to fix weaknesses, but I just think there's more value to me strengthening strengths. So I Let's start talking about that. I'm a big fan of um, StrengthsFinder. If you've ever mm-hmm. done a StrengthsFinder assessment and um, in my board work, we actually have all of our board members take a StrengthsFinder assessment so we understand what our natural strengths are and where natural strengths and then they're lined up to different types of activities Um strategic thinking, relationship building, execution. There there are some categories that these strengths fall into. 
And what we do with that is when we're building committees or we are, maybe there's an initiative that we're assisting the organization with, we can pull together board members that have complementary strengths so that we're looking at things from a variety of different angles and we understand where people are coming from. That's something that I found really personally valuable to understand that about myself and how I approach situations. Or if I understand what your strengths are, Gina, then I can start to understand why you might approach something mm-hmm. in a certain way. So I offer that up as something that that I've found personally valuable that our listeners might want to explore for themselves. This idea of effectiveness is something I've been personally exploring. And as I've been exploring this, it's almost like there are three concepts rolled into one. There's effectiveness, there's efficiency, and then there's engagement or enjoyment. I love the focus on being effective. Like you'll see no shortage of like, would you rather be effective or would you rather be efficient? I'd rather be effective because if I'm effective, the chances of me being highly engaged in what I'm doing go up. When I'm highly engaged, I put more of myself into it. There's more value for me and there's more value for you, whatever the situation is. I kind of assume some efficiency when I'm highly effective. Um, I'm super fortunate at this stage in my career and on my entrepreneurial journey that uh, I've been able to weed out most of the things I don't enjoy in my business, whether it's to simply not do them because it was just an activity that this isn't that valuable. If I remove it entirely, is it really going to make an impact? Let's test it out. Mm -hmm. And then it does it. It's not that impactful. Like, okay, I've been doing something that hasn't been that impactful. Let me just get rid of it all together. Or if it's something that is impactful, that is not in my wheelhouse, I don't, I'm not engaged in it. That's where I might delegate that out. Things like, you know, for me, bookkeeping, accounting, all those things that I'm not skilled in, but are required. I have great partners that do that or just different elements of of my business. But over time, the self-reflection, a little bit of self-awareness, maybe a little bit of outside, outside coaching help. I'm a big fan of coaching, therapy, all of that. Figuring out the things that I love to do, engagement, and what I'm really effective at. And it's a continual process because that stuff sneaks in. I'm telling you, that stuff sneaks in. And then six months, six months down the road, you're like, why am I doing this? How did this get into my life? I need to figure something else oh, out. It's again, it's sort of like that shiny thing syndrome. Like, yes. right. When I was like, you want a podcast with me? You're like, ooh, that sounds tasty. And then you're like, wait a second. Right. You know, I want to do Right. I finally started, started up our improv theater again in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina a couple months ago because people kept pushing me for it, pushing me for it. I kept saying this doesn't serve me. And then the timing, something just happened where an opportunity presented itself where I'm like, okay, this now feels like the right opportunity. There's a space that we can hold classes in. But what I learned was I'm like, here are the things I don't want to repeat from what I had once done. I don't want to run a theater. I don't want to run shows every weekend that I got to worry about. It was a full-time job of trying to do that and have a job. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. But I'm happy to run classes. And I have teachers that I had previously trained who've been asking to teach again. So I have a bench and I have these people who want to do it. And I have a community begging for classes. And I'm like, 
the classes always made money. So then there's the money factor of it. Does this serve all these needs, right? Does the, does, and I love that what you talked about on engagement and enjoyment. So I can be effective in the community with these classes in a variety of ways, giving the community something that they want and they're asking for. Also giving back to me because once I started promoting classes again, people just started organically reaching out to me about, hey, can we talk to you about improv for our business? So getting back on the radar, doing that served me, right? So I had to look at all those things that served me well in what I call Carolina Improv 1.0. And now we're in Carolina Improv 2.0. Here are the things we're not going to be doing. I don't want a full-time job running a theater. I already have a full-time job, but it gives me great enjoyment. And it, like you said, the engagement part, that's my aha from this episode today of like, I would rather be effective. Yeah. I would rather be effective because of exactly what you said. I'm going to be more engaged with it and I'm going to enjoy it more. And that's going to translate and carry over to the people that I serve. Yeah. And I think this that example comes kind of comes full circle back to that idea of that sweet spot of where we feel really confident, where we know that our time and our talents are really contributing to the greater good and not getting into the tipping point of the activities that could I do them? Yeah, I could. But then you start to get this whole list of activities and they can be time-consuming, energy-draining, all of that. And then you start to get into, it just kind of starts to feed itself yeah. on a vicious cycle. And But I feel like it's a constant fine-tuning and awareness yeah. of what, the, it's like a filter of what activities am I allowing in and which ones do need to, what can pass through the filter and what shouldn't. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's sort of the cool thing about constantly checking in with what you are doing. Because are you doing the same things over and over again because maybe they worked before or they gave you joy before, but are they still working, right? My my ability to step away from having a theater for three full years, I am so different three years later, but I also have a different lens that I didn't have when I was in it. I couldn't see. I saw it, but I ignored it. How about that, right? Like I... To your point, I'm like, God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to run a show. I don't want to schedule people. I don't want to have to worry about the customers who are buying tickets. Like tourists still call my cell phone. Like all summer, my phone blew up. And it's the first time in three years, which was also an interesting indicator that people are really, truly back out traveling to tourist towns because I got so many calls on my cell phone. Do you have a show tonight? And I'm like, no, we don't run shows anymore. But that was also a testament to the value that we brought to customers that they're still calling and they're calling my cell phone looking for a show. And part of me is like, guy, I want to do it for you. And I'm like, no, I don't. I don't want it. That right there is a big point. And I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, good. Thank you. A big point because that's where I think you mentioned it earlier, the outside, like, oh, you should do this or, oh, have you thought about this? And then you start to get that outside pressure and then it can go then it comes through the filter and all of a sudden you're doing things that you don't want to be doing exactly Um, yeah 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 and I even look I look at my business pretty continually now 
and look at each of my projects, my clients, the things that I'm working on, and just a little check-in that says, do I feel real, still feel really good about this? Am I doing this for the right reasons? Do I have a lot of engagement and enjoyment in it? And, and for me, there, there is a financial aspect to it. There, there has to be financial benefit, not just to me, financial benefit to me, yes, but financial benefit to the client or to whatever the situation is. So there are different elements that go into my decision-making. And I can say, when I look at my client list, my sweet spot is somewhere between five and 10 clients a year of just varying degrees of intensity. And But I work with anywhere between five and 10 clients a year on everything from sales strategy to sales skill development. Those are my lanes. Those are my lanes. I love them. I'm still excited by them. If I get get requests that are outside the lane, I really have to figure out, is this something worth coming through the filter? Or kind of your story about the shows. No, I don't do shows anymore, but here are two or three other people that you can call. That type of thing. Yeah, exactly. And that is what I do. Here, here are your other options. We just, we don't do that anymore. It's just not who we are. It's interesting. You talked about like you look at that. Do you have a system in place for that? Do you look at that on a regular basis? Because as you were talking about, I was like, you know what? I should get into a pattern of maybe it's a quarterly personal review of all the things I'm doing, working on people I'm serving. Like even over time, I know the type of person I want to coach and the type of person I don't want to coach, who I want to train, who I don't want to train, the things I should be doing to sell and the things I shouldn't be doing to sell, what I'm good at. Do you, what's your system for checking in on yourself? Yeah, I am. I like your forward pattern. I would probably use pattern more for myself than system. I can't say that I have anything that's really like systematized step-by-step process for doing that, but I do have, I'll call it a pattern of sitting down periodically. It might be once a month. It might be once a quarter. It can be while I'm working on an opportunity, like to really qualify it. Mm-hmm. You know? Kind of like the, the classic qualifying the opportunity. Is it worth pursuing? So there are probably different points that I do it at. Probably do it kind of tactically in the moment when I'm prospecting or I am considering a specific opportunity. And then that's more on like a micro tactical level than on a bigger picture level. Maybe it's once a quarter or twice a year. It's just sitting down to say, okay, if I look at my business and also my life and what I'm pursuing and where I'm investing my time, am I happy with where I'm investing my time? Is there something that I might change? And I don't know about you, but I'm like one of those people when I make a decision to change something, I want it to be changed like the next day. (laughs) And, you know, it takes a little bit of time to change it. You know, it might take you six months. It might take you a year. Like I have a couple of things right now that I am going to phase out of my business, but it's going to take six months or a year to do it. And just because logistically, that's what it's going to take. And having a little patience and grace to, yeah, all right, I'm on the right path. I'm on the right path for making these changes. So, so I wouldn't say I have a system, but I do have a pattern that I try to follow or that I kind of fall into. But I like your idea of maybe putting a little more, just even a little more intentionality around it. Yeah. And anybody watching or listening, you know, you can design something for yourself that works for you. That self-reflection or asking a coach, asking someone that you trust. Can you take an outside look at what I have going on? Is there anything I'm not seeing that you might want to point out to me? Yeah, that's a good point too. Again, just having this conversation gave me that kind of aha of like, 
what if, you know, like doing a quarterly business review, what if I did a quarterly personal review? Because you Ooh, I like that. You hit on something when you said, you know, looking at your business and your life. I think you have to look at that life aspect too. Oh, I've seen this and especially the older I get and I'm closer to retirement than I am to college graduation. So I start going, are the things that I'm doing professionally lining up with where I want to go personally? Ooh, I like that question. I like that question. That's one you got to sit with. Yeah, you get. And again, it can't happen overnight, like you're saying. It's like, that's not going to happen overnight. But what if we checked in on a more regular basis? And I do this in coaching. I just, I'm not good at coaching myself on it, right? A lot of times I ask the people I coach, I'm like, you know, what's your exit plan? And they're like, what? I'm like, what's your exit plan, right? And it's even crazier when, I'm, you know, my clients are like 30. And I'm like, I know you're not thinking about your exit plan, but let's start thinking about your exit plan. Like what will retirement look like? What do you want to be doing? Are you doing the things to get yourself there? Because that changes the trajectory of like your ambition for making money to get the things that you need later. I'm a big fan of, this is an old one, and I wrote it down while you were talking, start, stop, and continue. This mm-hmm. th- that, That's a good, that's a classic. Yep. That's a classic thing that we could all be doing on a regular basis. And maybe it's quarterly, maybe it's once a month, maybe it's, you know, twice a year, you know, what do you need to start doing? What do you need to stop doing? And what should you continue to do? And then you're just kind of reviewing what's working for you and giving yourself an opportunity to try new things. On that last point there, the opportunity to try new things, that is something when you talk about like an exit or a transition plan, For myself personally, something I've always been interested in and finally took the steps to do it was to become an an investor, essentially. So I joined an angel investing group here locally. Oh, cool. And um, that is my first, this is my first real foray into angel investing and learning the ropes and what goes into it. Learn being okay with being bad at it until I get good (laughs) at it. (laughs) But, But I'm learning a lot. And that's something for me, it's probably less, there's an effectiveness to it because I'm learning and I'm engaged. I'll become more efficient with it at some point, but, but that's something that I have stepped into. And there's a certain part of just having to own that's what you're doing. Even though I'm new to it, when somebody asks me when I do sales strategy for the middle market, I sales training, I am a board director and I'm an angel investor. Those are my things. And having to just, say, oh, I'm going to own this and I'm going to step into it while I'm learning it. So that idea of to come back to your concept of what's kind of your vision for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years? What are some things that, you know, you might be doing this way out in the future, but you still want to keep it in your sphere of awareness because you will get there at some point. It's amazing how quickly 25 years goes by. I know. Right? (laughs) I know. I swear. I, I, wanna... I sound like my parents and all the people that I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah, it's like a, they were right. It's a, it's that progressive commercial, right? Uh, yes. Is that the is. one? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Anything else new going on in your world? Ooh, professionally, probably the angel investing is new. I just wrapped up my term as a board chair for the Girl Scout, which is bittersweet. I have a little FOMO. But it was a great time to transition. I still had a ton of energy for the role. 
in my term, my, my term had ended and it's like, you know what, this is a great time to transition out because I still have so much energy for the movements and, and what Girl Scouting does. So finding different ways to get involved and then parlaying that board service into ideally private company board service in the future. So parlaying what I've learned and turning it into something different down the road. Those Love are it. probably the two newest things in my life. And uh, personally, doing some more travel, which I, I love to do. So getting the opportunity to travel internationally, experience different cultures. That's something that is just really speaks to me that I want to continue doing that and find more time for that. I love yeah. that. And you mentioned this earlier. You did come visit the Sales Gravy Studios and produce a whole bunch of courses that are available at Sales Gravy University. I did. That was so much fun. I think we did 22 courses in a day and a half. Yes, it was. It was intense. It was fun. The team was just fantastic. You They're know, amazing. Jeb, the, the, project, the production crew. Mary, everybody who was involved was just absolutely fantastic. I know I'm forgetting people, but no, I love you because you guys are all amazing. <laughs> and it's fun to it's fun to see the courses get introduced out into Sales Gravy University. So for those of you that are watching, listening, if you are part of Sales Gravy University, awesome. If we've piqued your interest, come join us. We'd love to have you have you test out Sales Gravy University. You'll find so many amazing things there. Yeah, very cool. Your courses are amazing. Thank you. Sales Gravy University, so robust as we continue to add courses. 22 courses is a lot. You know, I schedule production days with big visions of like, I'm going to push out. But, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do two of them today because it's a lot of work putting them together and not enough yes. time in the day. And so even in that, I've had to be like selective of like, all right, what do I want to put out into the world? That's the most important thing to me. There is something magical about a deadline when you have a day and a half. You're we're we're going to we're going we're going to work through all of these, and there's a certain now the production team polishes them to perfection, but there is a certain level of it's excellence. We can yeah. record those, re-record them so many times, but it's there's a great lesson in there. Uh, yeah. Deadlines can be magical, and so we said, hey, this is the time we have. We're going to get it done, and and we did it. So that, that is awesome. So for everybody listening, go to salesgravy.university and you can find Amy's courses there. I don't know if all 22 are posted yet, but there's a lot of them that are already posted. So go check that out. If people want to connect with you, what are the best ways for them to do that? The two best ways, you are always welcome to drop me an invitation on LinkedIn. Let me know that you've heard me on this podcast. And then secondly, you are welcome to go out to amyfranco.com. Lots of free resources out there. We publish original writing research twice a month. You are welcome to jump onto our mailing list and be a part of that. Awesome. It was so great having you back and I will have you back again if you will be had. I would love to. <laughs> and thank you for reaching out and offering the opportunity. This was so much fun. Always. Well, listeners, it's time to end this episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About brought to you by Sales Gravy and Sales Gravy University with the amazing Amy Franco, and we will put all of her contact information in the show notes. So check that out. And you can also watch this episode on YouTube. So go check that out. We both got up early to put on makeup and do our hair. So at least watch it. And we feel like it was worth getting up. Early. Yes, we did. <laughs> awesome, everybody. We'll see you on the next show. Bye.